Welcome, beautiful people, to Growthology Podcast. I'm Lorena, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist that is very interested in the science behind all things well-being and growth. And I am Monica. I'm a working mom, a wife, currently a college student, and I'm just an everyday person who's trying to live a happy and healthy life. In our podcast, we discuss topics like personal growth, wellness, mindfulness, and emotional intelligence, and hopes to grow a community of positivity. Hello, beautiful people. Today, we're going to talk about depression. We're going to focus on what is depression, general facts and statistics about depression, how it works to be diagnosed, and what kind of symptoms are associated with depression, what are the possible causes of depression, risk factors, some barriers to treatment, how to prevent the probability or risk of being depressed, some coping strategies, as well as additional resources. All right, so let's start with what is depression. So I believe I've mentioned probably a few times about my struggles with depression and anxiety. So I just want everybody to know if you're going through that or maybe you know someone who's going through that, it's really common and it's important that all of us feel that we're not alone if we're going through depression and also that we can all be connected through this and hopefully it'll bring everybody a little bit closer together and just start the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree definitely with needing to be feeling like we're a part of a community and the importance of connecting because a lot of us feel like nobody understands us or if somebody's going through depression they feel like they can't express themselves appropriately or they feel like no one will know what they're going through and I felt like this for a while when my depression started well, I would say it probably started when I was younger, but it got worse around college. And at the time, I didn't feel too comfortable or aware of myself. So it, it was definitely hard to express my feelings to anybody. And it was also a time when I was maturing and entering adulthood. So all of that together made it even that much harder. Throughout the years, though, I've realized how common it is. And it does make me feel a bit better with that sense of community and feeling like I'm not alone. So let's start with some facts because that's what I do. According to the World Health Organization, more than 264 million people of all ages suffer from depression globally. There's also some differences between men and women regarding depression. So men tend to show more signs of feeling tired, irritable, and angry. They may also become more reckless and abuse drugs or alcohol. And the majority of men also tend to not recognize their depression, and they more often do not seek help. In women, depression symptoms are more commonly symptoms of sadness, worthlessness, and guilt. So I have no idea that the symptoms vary so drastically, you know, depending on your gender. And I'm sure there's many other variables to that as well. But it makes sense. I mean, when you think about, I mean, I think everybody kind of has their own like obstacles with depression. So you have like the masculinity part where 
they don't want to seem like too soft or be vulnerable. And then you have um, the sexism part where if a woman's sad or emotional, then it's already like, oh, she's being a woman. So I think like both sides really have barriers that they have to work through and it makes it harder you know, just to ask for help. Yeah, it's that toxic masculinity. So the difference between things in life that make us feel sad and things that stress us out, the difference between that and depression is that depression is more severe. So the symptoms are felt in a more severe way and it tends to persist with time. So those are basically the differences between just feeling sad and stressed out and depression, those two components, severity and persistence with time. So um, I asked this to one of my therapists when I was going through depression is like, how do I know that I'm depressed? So the background for me was I had some childhood depression, just like you kind of shared. And then when I became a young adult, that led into my young adult life. So I was like so deep in that depression that I didn't know another way to be. And I didn't realize like at what point was I depressed. It just seemed like that was just like I was just always sad. And I mean, it depends on the circumstances. If you're like mourning the loss or grieving or going through some kind of hardship, you know, something like COVID-19, then it would make sense that you have some kind of symptoms of depression. Um, But it's that that persistence, that long term. And, you know, is it getting progressive too? Yeah. And there's also different types of depressive disorders. The most common one being major depressive disorder. There's also one called persistent depressive disorder, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, Depressive disorder due to another medical condition. So, for example, if somebody's diagnosed with cancer or any major medical illness and this diagnosis causes them to become depressed, this is the diagnosis they would be given. Uh, There's also adjustment disorder with depressed mood. And this, this disorder is basically for somebody that's experiencing something in their life. So, It's kind of like if there's a death in the family or a major change, but it's lasting more than what is quote unquote normally accepted. So Mm -hmm. if experiencing depression due to COVID or experiencing depression due to moving out of the house or divorce or any major life event like that. And there's also seasonal mm-hmm. affective disorder, which is is experienced during the winter months when there's not much light outside, when we're not getting that vitamin D from the sun, and things like that. But for the purpose of time and the amount of information that's out there, we're going to be discussing depression more broad- broadly rather than specifying between the different types in this episode. People with depression often experience symptoms similar to those of anxiety, like feeling nervous, irritable, having difficulty with sleep, and difficulty concentrating. There's definitely clear evidence that many people suffer from both anxiety and depression simultaneously, but this doesn't mean that if you have depression, you have to have anxiety or vice versa. It's just something that's seen very commonly. 
So there's a an interesting point that stood out to me from what you just said. So I, I had gone to one of my therapists and uh, and it was for, you know, like medications dealing with depression because at that at that time I had really severe depression and um, that that MD, she, she was really good because the first question that she asked me was um, if she can do blood work and she specifically wanted to look at my vitamin D. And I, I learned from, from her educating me is that vitamin D deficiency is really common and it can cause symptoms of, of depression. Wow, that's a really good provider because I wish they all did that and were more you know, centered around what's going on rather than just going right into prescribing without checking anything else out first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she was awesome. She was probably one of the best uh, doctors when it came to like those kind of prescription things because mm-hmm. she didn't want to do it unless it was like, okay, like let's try to uh, yeah. like problem solve everything that that could be causing it and then move on from there. But um, yeah. uh, recently the, the Minimalist podcast just did a, a episode on hormones levels or maybe it wasn't recently maybe I just listened to it recently <laughs> yeah <laughs> correct me if I'm they right. have a lot of episodes yeah I, I couldn't tell you yeah um but that one was really good so if you're worried about some kind of hormone deficiency or anything like that that could be affecting your mood which is totally a possibility definitely uh, do some research into that there's a lot of companies that do uh, hormone testings, or you can always just ask your doctor just to run some blood work on you. But um, but I would encourage you to to listen to that episode because it was really enlightening. But um, so so you mentioned anxiety and depression um, is is commonly together. So so that's what I had. I had uh, the anxiety, which I think anxiety is just a lifetime thing that I'm always going to deal with. Um, but the depression piece is like they kind of enforce each other. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you have both, it's it becomes a lot harder because then you're tackling two different of pretty intense feelings. And mine was exactly like that as well. It started in college and it was definitely both depression and anxiety together. So on to some facts and the diagnosis of depression. There's a lot of different factors that lead to depression, and there's not just one reason that that we could say, okay, this is what causes depression. It could be a lot of different things. One of them being abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, or sexual. There's also personal conflicts or disputes with family members or friends, death or loss of a loved one, genetics, major life events, other personal problems, serious medical illnesses, as well as substance abuse. So serotonin helps us regulate our sleep, appetite, and mood, and inhibits pain. Research supports the idea that some depressed people have a reduced serotonin transmission, as well as low levels of serotonin byproduct have been linked to a higher risk for suicide. Dopamine is a type of neurotransmitter, and this is essential to movement, and it also influences motivation and plays a role in how a person perceives reality. So problems in dopamine transmission have been associated with things like hallucinations or delusions, which is a distorted way of, of seeing reality. It's also involved in the brain's reward system, so it ha- it's been thought to play a major role in substance use as well. 
So you going through that list kind of like takes me back uh, definitely to a different time for me. One of the reasons why I had really bad depression is because it was related to trauma. Um, But I experienced most of these symptoms to a slight degree, not all of them necessarily, but uh, a lot of them kind of were, were things that I experienced. But there were you know, some thoughts of suicide, but luckily, you know, I, I was seeking help and I was really honest with my therapist. I don't think a lot of people mm-hmm. are, are probably honest because it's a really uncomfortable thing to talk about. But yeah. I do want to mention that that is a really scary thing to talk to with your therapist because a lot of people fear that they're going to get in trouble or they're going to end up in the hospital but this is basically how it works. If somebody says that they're having thoughts of suicide, we ask a lot of follow-up questions. And this doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to send you to the hospital right away and call the ambulance. So what professionals usually will do is ask follow-up questions like, do you have a plan? Have you ever – this is something that you should probably know from the client you're working with anyway prior But their history, if they've ever tried to commit suicide, what have they done, if there's self-harm involved. So we would come up with a plan. So if the person says, I'm just having thoughts, I've been having these thoughts, but I don't have a plan to do it, then we would say, okay, well, let's work with that and figure out supports and a plan of what they'll do. Mm -hmm. And as long as they say there's no plan to actually do it, Unless we're concerned and there's other factors involved, there's the person's probably not going to call nine one one. Usually, it's if it's a per, it's it's a person saying that they have a thought, and they have a plan, and they have the means. So let's say somebody has pills, and they say, "Yeah, I've been thinking about the pills, and I really want to take these pills today," or "I've thought about taking them." And I'm not sure what's going to happen today. So those were the times. So it's basically just worried about the safety of the person. Um, But just because you say you're having thoughts does not mean the therapist is going to right away send you to the hospital. Because I know a lot of people don't open up about those things before the fear of being sent to a hospital or being, you know, against their will. It's a trip hearing you talk about that because I remember all of those follow-up questions. So I'm just mm-hmm. like here like, oh, wow, yeah, I, I remember them asking asking those questions. But yeah. um, talking about, you know, suicide in in the Air Force right now, suicide is the, the number one death, death cause in, in the Air Force. So you would think that being in the military, that what's, you know, killing everybody would be war, but it's actually suicide. So um, I've had friends in the military who had problems with uh, being suicidal or depression. So, and then obviously my own experiences, that's something that we always connected with. So sharing this is really personal for me. And I'm very passionate about, about, this topic and talking about it and hopefully we can we can reach people who are maybe going through it and just so that you don't feel like like they're alone yeah definitely and from your perspective why do you think that it's such a big issue in the military and they've had such a difficult time not 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 addressing it but just containing it I guess 
you could say? I'm no expert, but I guess just based off of what I've seen, a lot of a lot of cultural issues is is probably a huge one. Um, cultural acceptance. So if you you know, like when you're in the military, you have to have a security clearance, at least for the Air Force anyways. Um, so if you go and seek out mental health, depending on what's going on, you might lose your clearance. Or if you're a security forces, so you're like a military police officer and you go to mental health and you get on medication, then they could pull you from holding a weapon and that would result in you not being able to complete your job. And when you can't complete your job, that culture and those people around you are, are going to feel a certain way because then they're picking up your slack or your workload. So I think there's a certain set, uh, a certain amount of unacceptance in that aspect. And then, um, you know, and I hate to say it, sometimes it's just the supervisors not really understanding people well enough or those kinds of situations and how to deal with them. Because, you know, if you see somebody who's starting to come in late for work, the automatic instinct is, I'm going to give this person paperwork or I'm going to, you know, yell at this person or, you know, tell them like how it is or whatever but yeah I mean, so a punitive approach rather than an empathetic approach or trying to figure out where that person is coming from or what's going on exactly which anyone who who sees that so I've you know had different troops and as soon as I start seeing trends that's when I'm asking questions like okay is there something going on are you having a sleeping problem are you not hearing your alarm are you just not wanting to come in and you know really pulling back those layers of the people that you're responsible for because they could be going through something I don't think people intentionally want to like do bad I think for the most part, everybody wants to, you know, do good by their supervisor and and do their job. That's why they're there. I mean, there's always going to be outliers to that. But um, but in general, I I think it's just a big cultural issue that, you know, that the Air Force is trying to address right now and that they're talking about and we need to talk about it. Yeah. And when you say culture, just to clarify for people who maybe don't know much about the military, when we say culture, we're talking about military culture, not like ethnic or background culture. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The culture from from the military. The military. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that was a really good insight from from you. And thanks for sharing your own personal experiences with it within the military. So moving on, we're going to be talking about the risk factors and some complications with depression. So Regarding risk factors, there are certain personality traits that may influence the probability of depression within an individual. So certain personality traits like low self-esteem, being too dependent, being too self-critical, pessimism, traumatic events like I mentioned before, having relatives with a history of depression or other mental illnesses, being someone that's LGBTQ in an unsupportive situation or sometimes even supportive situation, history of other mental health disorders, abuse of alcohol or drugs, serious chronic illnesses, and as well as certain medications. 
could have a side effect of causing depression. So I'm going to touch on one of the things that we've already talked about. We've talked about predisposition. I hate this word. I think everybody hates this word because it just seems to like set your fate when people hear that they're predisposed with yeah. something. I think just a lot of people in general, like like if, you're, if your parents have depression or anxiety, it, the odds of it being passed down to you are going to be pretty high. But it's also the nurture and the nature, right? So the the nature's gonna be that hereditary that's passed down to you. But then it's also the nurture is what are you seeing? How how is your how are your parents or whoever that person is, how are they reacting to depression? Are they going to more like toxic or bad ways to dealing with depression or just not dealing with it at all? Some people don't deal with it at all. And then you're gonna pick up those habits. So those are definitely challenges that I think a lot of people are going through, probably my age, because that last generation just didn't really address mental health the way that they're trying to address it yeah. right now. Um, it wasn't, it was super taboo to go to a therapist, at least m maybe just from, from my experience being, you know, um, Mexican American, I, I hadn't really seen yeah. that. I, in my family, they, the women talked about it, but not too much therapy. It was like, go see your doctor and get some pills and, you know, move mm -hmm. on. It wasn't much of talking to anybody about it. So it's definitely changed. Right. But like with males, drinking mm -hmm. is really common in Hispanic or Latino cultures. So yeah. that's, that's their way of coping. Right. Mm -hmm. With the mental health that they're probably going through. Right. Um. So some complications with depression. Um, you could have excessive weight gain or weight loss. So some people will eat a lot more. They could do something like binge eating or overeating or weight loss due to not eating, not having an appetite. Uh, there's also pain or physical illness related to depression. It could lead to alcohol or, or drug use, anxiety like we talked about before. Issues with family, friends, other relationships, issues at work, like you mentioned. It could manifest in the workplace, school problems, becoming socially isolated, uh, suicidal thoughts or attempts, and self-harm. So just for, I guess, my little toolkit, when, when you come in contact with somebody who might be going through depression or you think they might go through depression, um, and this is just, just for you because I'll have a follow-up question too, um, but what does that conversation look like in your office when, when you think that somebody's depressed? Well, I would say that most people already know before they even come in. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of the people I see have been in therapy in the past um, some are younger and it's their first time, but I would say the majority, um, have been to a therapist before seeing me. So they'll either, they'll tell me, they'll say, this is what I'm struggling with. These are my symptoms. If not, I'll just ask, we have a questionnaire that's specific to depression. So it's kind of like a rating scale that has some of the symptoms of depression. And then the person will tell us how much difficulty they're having with this certain symptom. Um, and then I usually go into asking them the things that they've tried already to cope. Um, I talk a lot about with people about their daily routine, 
I talk a lot about the their health, so their physical health, their sleep hygiene habits, um, if they're staying active, if they're phys- physically active. So I focus on basically what their habits are during the day to figure out what, okay, this might be causing you to feel worse and or this is something that you should keep doing because this is something positive. And then so for to, to bring it full circle for us as bystanders or even a friend, what's wh- what should we say mm-hmm. when we think we see it or someone's alluding to it? Because I don't I don't think most people will outright say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what should our response? Yeah, I be? guess it de- it's it really depends on each individual and how comfortable you feel with the other person. Like you said, if they're not really saying anything. Simple questions like, are you feeling okay? Um, is there anything that I could help with? What's stressing you out? Or just saying, hey, you seem different. Are, are you doing all right? Is something happening? Is there anything I could help with? And just really letting people know that you're there for them and you're you're there to talk and listen and asking, like, what do you need from me? Because some people just need somebody to listen to them. Some people are looking for advice. So it's important to ask those questions of what that person needs from you because it's going to be different for every individual. And if they say, you know, yes, I am struggling. I don't know what to do. It's not your responsibility to fix their problems. Um, All you can do is be there for them. And if you feel like you have some experience with depression, of course, you can give them advice. But I would say the best thing is for them to talk to a professional. If you really feel like if you feel concerned for this person and the way that you could do that is ask them have you ever talked to anybody or would you be open to that and then being there for them like can I can I help you go to the appointment maybe they would feel more comfortable if they didn't go alone Uh, you know I could sit in the waiting room or I could go in with you things like that so I would just say overall support and letting that person know that you're there for them and asking them what they need. Yeah, that's that's really good. I think it's hard to to kind of like identify those situations quickly and react. There's definitely times that I'm like, oh, maybe I should have asked this person more questions. Um, so um, some barriers to to receiving care for the people that that are struggling. I think there's a lot of fear of judgment, which we kind of talked about at least uh, in the military aspects. But just in any kind of social aspects, I think there's always going to be people who judge you there. But and I think that when people realize that somebody's going through something hard, it's hard to not become avoidant when we don't know what to say. So if you see somebody that's like talking things about depression or about being really sad it's hard to find out or to say like Mm -hmm. the right thing because you don't want to say the wrong thing but um I definitely during my depression have had people say the wrong thing to me and that didn't necessarily help but I mean if you just listen to people a lot of times that that helps a lot mm-hmm. and it really goes a long way and not trying to put like judgment like well why are you thinking of like why, why would you kill yourself or why would you think that and mm-hmm. you know that makes someone feel a certain way but if you're just like okay well what's going on tell me tell me more or you know yeah and I think that it's true that 
can be uncomfortable and a lot of people mm -hmm. don't know what to say but at the same time I think it's pretty easy to tell if somebody is is has good intentions or bad intentions so they might have said the wrong thing but I think that most of the time you could tell if they mm -hmm. meant to be mean or rude um versus if they just were uncomfortable and felt awkward and said something that didn't come out right you know right or didn't know what to say Yeah. So there's definitely some barriers to care and getting the help that, that people need. A lot of communities lack resources, so they might lack a community health center that's near them that they could go to. So lacking of trained professionals in their area, lack of insurance, social stigma, inaccurate assessment of what's going on. So being told they have something else, but it really is depression. Oftentimes, depression alone is the barrier because it's so difficult to find that motivation to get up or do the things that we know will make us feel better or people are telling us it'll make us feel better. So in that aspect, depression can be a double-edged sword because we become our own worst enemies. It's hard to, to get up and do those things that will help us feel better. Right. And like the right things that make mm -hmm. us feel better, too. Because when you're depressed, you just feel sad all the time. And sometimes we go to like that instant feel better or that toxic coping, like drinking. That's definitely something that, that I, you know, experienced and tried to do. And one of the things that I learned going through my depression, because at first I was doing that toxic coping, it literally left, like led me nowhere. So toxic coping does not fix anything. It might feel better temporarily, but it doesn't address the issues. Um, it and causes it, more problems. It, it really does. Yeah. And it, it makes oh, the depression worse. It does. <laughs> A lot worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We know from personal experience. So for a big turning point during my life was I wasn't taking care of myself emotionally. I was going to therapy, but I wasn't taking it seriously, which is totally two different types of therapy. If you just go and talk about things and then you just go on with your life and you're not taking it seriously, it's very different than when you go and you listen and you actually take that advice and do all of those um, homework assignments that you don't want to do because who wants to do those things? Yeah. And that's <laughs> definitely really common. Mm -hmm. So for those out there listening... It is very common to go to therapy and not do anything outside of therapy. And that's, I would say, the number one mistake that people make is they think that just solely going to therapy is going to fix everything. But I always tell my clients the most important thing about you getting better is what happens outside of this office. So mm -hmm. there's the knowledge is not power knowledge is potential power so if you have the knowledge but you don't use it you're not going anywhere you actually have to put that knowledge into action and hearing things that will help and talking about your trauma is not enough you have to take those steps outside of therapy to better yourself or else it's it's not going to do anything But that is really common. And I learned that the hard way is that I wasted, you know, like three years in therapy when I could have mm -hmm. actually addressed the problem. So, but yes, yeah, so 
you know, I wasn't taking it seriously for, for a long time. And then, you know, all of my trauma started surfacing because that always happens too. If you don't address it, it's going to resurface at some point. You know, I actually got um, hospitalized. So I had acute kidney failure and that was a big turning point for me because I realized that whatever I was doing, even though I thought I was doing the right thing, wasn't working. And from that point on, decided, you know, all of this extra stress that I was putting on my plate, because a lot of it was things that I was overly stressing about, I was like, I need to address the real issue and not all these extra things. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I took therapy seriously. I went to intensive outpatient therapy, doing that at the same time for a few months is ultimately is when I started feeling better um, and started putting that work in. And I stopped partying, I stopped drinking, and I just took bettering myself seriously. Now, I'm a new person in a lot of ways, but I try to mitigate depression when I see that it's starting to come up. I also focus, like, now I'm able to focus more on what I'm doing and not worry about you know, the past traumas and those things about yesterday, but I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't get through that trauma type of therapy. So, so yeah, those were all really good things that, that you did in order to get yourself better. And it shows that you put in a lot of work in order to get where you are today. And, you know, that's the hardest part is actually doing the stuff that we know will work and to making us feel better. So mm-hmm. some other steps that you that we can take when we're dealing with depression is trying to control the amount of stress that we're taking in. So focusing on what is in our control rather than what's not in our control and really channeling that focus to what is within our reach. Like you said, reaching out to loved ones. Um, Another great tip would be to get treatment and help early on. Don't wait until it progressively gets worse and your symptoms intensify and worsen because then it's just even more difficult to handle and get back on track. So knowing the warning signs is really important. So educating yourself and having that self-reflection Uh, reading about what's going on, talking to your doctor, even if you don't think you have depression, but you're feeling kind of off, just talk to a professional about it. There's also support groups and online forums, relaxation techniques and training. You can find all that on YouTube, cognitive behavioral therapy to change the way that you think, meditation, gratitude practices, You can also seek faith-based support if that's something that you find helpful to you. I'm not, I'm going to repeat myself again from all of our previous (laughs) episodes, focusing on your physical health as well and avoiding drugs and alcohol because that will just make, make you feel worse or add additional issues to what you're going through. So some additional resources for those of you that want to look up a little bit more information psychologytoday.com is a great way to find a therapist. This is where I've found all the therapists that I've worked with. Doesn't mean that I'm going to love them all and I'm going to work well with all of them, but Mm -hmm. it gives a, a snapshot profile of what their strengths are, who they work with, 
their education, their licensure. And it for me, at least, it helps with my anxiety in terms of knowing who I was going to be seeing and who I was going to be working with. So there's also SAMHSA's National Helpline. Their number is 1-800-662-4357. This is not a hotline, so it's not supposed to be used for crisis. It's more for information. And it's confidential. They will answer the phone 24-7, 365 days a year. This is a resource for treatment referrals, any information that they kind of know where to guide you. And they, they offer this in English and Spanish. There's also the National Suicide Prevention Line. And this is a crisis line. 1-800-273-8255. Um, there's also an app that I recommend a lot called Calm as well as another app called Headspace. And these are free meditation apps. So they have guided meditation, some soothing sounds, and this is just kind of a way to relax. This is These are not meant for when you're feeling like you're in a crisis. This is something that should be implemented in your routine on a daily basis to prevent any crisis from happening. There's also a website called upworthy.com. And this is a news website, but it's all positive news. So it talks about a lot of good things that are, that are happening in the world, which is definitely what, not what we hear in regular news um, nowadays. We hope that you found this episode helpful and know that if you're going through a hard time right now, that you're not alone. There's many people who are also going through those same things. And, you know, you owe it to yourself really to to get the help and put in you know all of that work it's worth it you're worth it and you deserve to be happy so stay Stay growing. growing also be sure to follow us on instagram just look up at growthology podcast no space